Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Happy Wednesday, Second Print Nation. It is another Wednesday. That not only means it's comic book day, unless you're reading DC comic books, then you already had your comic book day, but it's also Second Print Comics Podcast Day, where myself, the mischievous Mark Claire, and my co-host Remzo Martinez take a whimsical look at some of our favorite stories of the past, present, and, well, I guess not the future. We'll see about that. But uh, it's always confusing. Time travel is always confusing with comics. Remzo, how you doing? I'm here, there, and everywhere else, and this whimsical journey is going to take us into the dark streets of Gotham today, but before we go ahead and jump into that, Mark, I, I've just got to point out one last thing before we start. We have been so, 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 so generous since we started back in August, and right now, by the time you're hearing this, there's only, I think, 24 hours left of our big X-Men issue one giveaway. For those of you that have been wanting to go ahead and send in a five-star review to iTunes or Stitcher, or go ahead ahead and join us on Patreon at any level, we have been giving out copies of X-Men Issue 1 from the 1992 Chris Claremont and Jim Lee run, and we've got only a handful left. So what we're going to do is this. It, um, you know, If you want to go ahead and send in your review, if you want to go ahead and jump in Patreon, you'll go ahead and secure one of the remaining copies we have left. But understand, after this, if we have any copies remaining after October 1st, we will only be giving those away to folks that join us on Patreon. So the option of leaving a five-star rating and review on iTunes will be off the table forever at that point. These things are flying off the shelves, man. And, and once the Second Print Podcast becomes the uh, Potty Award-nominated show and, and winning show that I know it will be, is Potty's even a thing? I just made that up. Um, it's a thing now. I'm sure this... It's a thing now, bitches. Exactly. This copy of X-Men number one is going to be even more prestigious because that is the book that we looked at. Well, one of the one of the books we looked at in the very first episode of this podcast. Tick on back 
back to that episode one in your podcast feed, wherever it is you listen, Apple Podcasts, over, I'm an Overcast fan myself, Spotify, wherever you find this stuff, you can you can find us. But uh, you guys are smart. You know how to find podcasts. Go listen to episode number one. Go listen to all of our archives. We have a, a, over two months now of this podcast we've been doing, and we've, we've been banging up some great stuff, I got to say. We've had amazing feedback from our fans so far. I got to say, this is uh, we've both launched a couple of podcasts in our in our time, Remzo, and uh, I'd say, <clears throat> considering how short we've been doing this podcast, uh, the feedback we've been gotten has just been amazing, and the interaction we've gotten from people. I would like to thank Corona for killing the entertainment industry yeah. and giving us just some smooth roads to travel on to take up your time. Maybe that's it. We're just all that they have left. There's just nothing else. They saw cuties on Netflix. They're like, all right, there, there's no more. There's nothing else I can watch on there. I got to hop over. I, that's I'm not out. a political statement. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, it's it's been fantastic. And know that we only have a few slots remaining. Once we go ahead and hit 50 members on our uh, private group on Facebook, the Second Print Comics Fan Zone, uh, after that, you know, after we reach 50, you've got to be a Patreon you know, member to come on. So, I mean, we're offering so much for free, but even for those of you that are, you know, supporting us on Patreon, you've been getting access to all the episodes in advance. You've been getting access to exclusive rants, commentary, so much more. So we've always got some, you know, free perks and benefits, uh, you know, we're throwing at, we're throwing at you all because we love you. But at the same time, you know, every dollar that you put into us, we put right back into the show. So that way we could provide you uh, much more frequent, much more awesome content each and every time. So just putting that out there. Yep. Patreon.com slash second print pod. And uh, once we hit our first milestone, it's only 300 bucks a month. It's not that, uh, that's not, not that far away. Not that out of far out of our grasp. Uh, we're going to start incorporating interviews with people in the comic book community. Remzo and myself both have a decent amount of connections in that community uh, from our previous podcasting days and just our, our interaction in general with that community. And uh, I'm sure once we uh, start really busting our butts, reaching out to people, we'll, we'll be able to bang out some great interviews there as well. Uh, that is of course going to require more time from us, which is why we're setting that $300 a month goal. So we can actually, uh, afford to invest that time and take away from the other, our other ventures in life. Uh, but that being said, I think it's time to get into this week's story. Let's do it. This is, I got to say, so I'll, I'll just recap. I mean, we, we talked about this in episode zero of our program, which you can, again, go tick back in that podcast feed, wherever ever it is you listen. You got to go listen to that one. I highly recommend listening to episode zero. Uh, it is our least downloaded episode, I, I will admit, because we released three episodes at once. And I uh, said so that, that was towards the bottom of the feed. So a lot of people might have missed that one. I encourage you to check that out because that is where we really discuss the genesis of our fanhood. But I'll give the very brief version right here because I kind of jumped in at first as a Marvel Comics guy. Uh, the very first comic I ever bought was Fantastic Four, and then uh, that was sort of my entry into X-Men, into Spider-Man. Those are really what got me into comics. Uh, but then I became a fan of DC but through a couple of events that happened almost simultaneously. Death of Superman was first. Uh, that was uh, probably one of the first comic events that I can remember seeing on like the mainstream news was talking about, oh my God, Superman's going to die. So that got me intrigued in DC Comics. But shortly after that, um, we had this event that we're going to talk about today. This is Batman Nightfall. This is where Batman uh, runs through just an incredible, incredible, arduous gauntlet by the villain Bane and eventually gets his back snapped. Spoiler alert. If you didn't know that was what this is about, guess what? I mentioned it in the title. So you probably know what, what's going to happen if you weren't all, already familiar with this story. But uh, this story really made me a Batman fan. Uh, I think what really stuck out to me uh, with Batman is that unlike many of the other heroes, he didn't have powers. He was just a man, a man with, you know, a lot of money, as Ben Affleck 
would say, is a superpower uh, and a lot of skills, uh, almost to uh, probably the most elite a, a physical human can get in the DC universe, but he is a physical human nonetheless. And this story, uh, more than any other, really shows you how Bruce Wayne is a human who is going through, you know, is, who is going through just a tremendous toll trying to hold this city together amidst all this chaos. And uh, this really sucked me in. And this this story made me a Batman fan for life. That's why this story has been on my radar uh, as one of the first deep dives I wanted to get into. But uh, Ramzo, before we kind of go somewhat issue by issue but like this, I won't go incredibly detailed. I think we realize how arduous a task that is uh, going through Maximum Carnage. Uh, but uh, we'll try to kind of bounce through the, the major events of each issue anyway. Uh, but first off, just before we get into this and, and the recent reread we did of this before this program, uh, I know you ha- I know you I'm pretty sure you own this. But how how when did you first read this read this story? I read this uh, right around Thanksgiving break, my sophomore year of high school. I, uh, I I was I was a passive Batman fan, but I primarily was a fan of the animated series, especially The Batman, which premiered on Cartoon Network in 2005 to coincide with the uh, Batman Begins film. But uh, you know, around this time in 2011, I'm I, I'm I'm starting to get into collecting. But here's the thing about Batman: I didn't necessarily know where to start. Uh, do I start with the Batman, Batman Robin, Detective Comics? For Batman, I, I always really had an issue of understanding when is the point to jump on and then discover what else there is to read. And, uh, you know, a friend of mine suggested Nightfall. And what I love about Nightfall is this is, I think, the this this storyline specifically, uh, you know, you're getting exposed to his entire rogues gallery. You're getting exposed to, um, you know, all the Bat family minus some of the recent additions like Red Hood and Damian Wayne. Um, this is where you really get full on Batman. And what's great about this series is that around the time that you were collecting this, uh, when it was hitting the newsstands and everything, um, this is when Batman is actually becoming a comic book that people like. This is coming out at least uh, four or five years after. Uh, um, you know, Batman uh, in theaters with Michael Keaton, and then I think Batman Returns. So Batman is now being solidified as the Dark Knight, the Dark Knight detective. Because really, prior to that, I mean, even in even in the late '80s, right before Frank Miller's The Dark Knight. Batman comics were not selling, and if they were selling, they weren't the Batman that we all love today. It was the campier, more lighthearted. Um, Adam you know, West Batman, I, the, essentially. It, it was even, you know, the, the the more I look back at it, there there were some some Batman comics like Brave and the Bold that were even campier than the show. Batman was not serious. Batman was not cool. If you said, "Oh, uh, do you like Batman?" people would look at you and be like, "Yeah." I mean, he's not the guy he is now, the pop, the pop culture phenomenon that we all think of when we think of Batman. So really, between 1987-88 and uh, 93, when this is coming out, this is what really remakes Batman forever. Because this Nightfall run took so much from Frank Miller's The Dark Knight and put it really into main Batman canon. And this, I mean, you, you see this in everything. You see this in the Arkham games. You see this in the current comics you see this everywhere this is the run that a lot of the modern day dc writers for batman justice league they all come back to when they want to really understand you know what is what what is the driving force for the dark knight 
Sure. And this is a story that has stood the test of time. It's constantly referenced in continuity. Uh, it's not ignored. Uh, it's it's a really a part of Batman's story. Uh, there's hardly a villain he faces now or a death-defying situation where, you know, he doesn't in some kind of flashback or, or someone else might reference that time that Batman had his back broken. So this is like a real part of the character, just like the death of Superman uh, really did become a, a real part of that character. And the interesting thing is the, these, these stories came out one after the other. Uh, it was death of Superman first and then um, Batman nightfall and a lot of people think that they were kind of trying to capitalize on the success at least the sales success of the death of superman by coming out with nightfall by doing sort of a a death of superman for batman so to speak because the idea the real idea was to take batman completely out of the comic or for about a year or so and uh, get other characters involved and sort of develop the character that way uh but if you believe the people at dc and i once uh, in a previous life and i believe you have as well uh not a previous life it's still my current life but in, in another podcast life i interviewed chuck dixon and uh you know he and other writers claimed that this was a story that was in the works for years uh, that first came up, I believe, in like the eight, late 80s. They started discussing this story and uh, even before they had discussed the death of Superman. So if you believe uh, if you believe the, the powers that be and the people that you know, look back on this, that this was it's really just a coincidence that this came out right after death of Superman. Uh, but to me, these are these are the two most some of the most iconic stories uh, of my childhood. And we'll, we'll look at the death of Superman uh, at some point down the road here, too. Uh, but these are the stories that sucked me into DC Comics. And I, and I gotta say, even looking back, uh, you know, they have their flaws. They're both really long and drawn out. And I think the first parts of each of these stories are probably a lot better than a lot of the aftermath. Uh, you know, there's the death of Superman part, and I think that's a great story. But then there's a bunch of crazy stuff that happens afterwards, some of which is good. Uh, so it's kind of hit and miss. And uh, eventually we come back to the status quo. And eventually we do basically come back to the status quo with Batman here as well. Uh, but really, I want to focus today on the really it's the first half of Nightfall. Nightfall is broken up into a couple parts, but I, I basically want to focus on uh, this you know, basically the entire confrontation with Bane and uh, everybody being released from Arkham Asylum, which culminates in, uh, of course, Batman having his back broken and actually being taken out of the role of Batman for, I believe, about a year in, in real life. Yeah. And I mean, I, I want to preface this. I don't want to spoil this too much because we'll we'll get into this with our reviews. Like um, there, there's a difference between like a flash in the pan type of series of stories like what we uh, discuss in Maximum Carnage uh, a few episodes back. But uh, I mean, I, I could look back and I, I saw this as I was rereading it. Nightfall. 30 years later is I, I still think an objectively good story. I can't say the same about the death of Superman or the reign of the Superman. Are they cool? Do they have some cool parts? Yeah. But I can't say that that's a story I go back to and think, wow, look, look at all these cool things. It's mainly there for the art. And if we're really talking about the art, we're really talking about the, the last couple action comics, Superman issues, because it was, it was going across all the Superman titles to where you're really only getting like full, full page splashes, because that was the interest. That's the one interesting thing about uh, the death of Superman that they haven't done any other comics. Each issue, as you got closer and closer to doomsday versus Superman, you know, in the final battle, they took out one panel. So in like the last, issue where they actually kill him it's just full page spreads it's insane but uh no i mean i'm i'm excited to finally get into this let's let's talk some batman all right well let, let's dive in here and uh first first off at least uh, i'm not sure if you read this in the original comics or i actually just read it read it through um, a trade paperback uh for ease of reading but the one i have starts off with the Be- vengeance of bane special have you read that one 
Yep, that's right, in so it. Let's go through this first. I think I think Bane's origin is pretty pretty important here, and it's actually a it's a pretty damn cool origin story, say as as far as villains go. Uh, but essentially, here this this story, by the way, is by our, our good friend Chuck Dixon, art by Graham Nolan, and the cover to this is, is awesome. I mean, Bane just looks like a total badass on this cover. Um, I don't know if you, you have the original or not, but um, cover yeah, awesome. I mean, no no one no one really does him justice in a way because in, in many ways, I think there's the caricature of Bane, and then there's the real. Bane. The caricature is what you see in like, you know, Batman and Robin where he's just the souped up dude on Venom. And then you've got like the Bane in the Dark Knight Rises where you know you really kind of take away the powers and you just have the military statistician. This is the best of both Banes. Yeah, I I did like uh, the the Bane in in Dark Knight Returns, but the one thing I hated about him was the, the twist at the end where it actually turns out he was just kind of a puppet of Talia al Ghul. And that, that kind of... We're talking, dark, we're talking Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight Rises, yeah. You know what yeah, I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know right. what I mean. Uh, yeah, but... Uh, because to me, that, that's part of Bane's character, which is, and I mean, we're not going to go back to it because we just did it last episode, but uh, that's part of what bothered me about the, the, you know, Tom King's Batman run when Bane was just played up as the biggest villain of all time here. But then they take this turn at the end where he he almost seems to become a lackey to Thomas Wayne uh, in, in a strange way. So I don't like when when Bane is ever a lackey to anybody. Bane should should never be anybody's second. He should never be following someone. Have you seen the Harley Quinn TV show? I have not. Oh, you! I won't spoil it for you. You will not like what they did to Bane in that case. Oh, God. That makes me want to go hate watch right now. <laughs> hate binge. All right, but let's get into Bane. Uh, we start with a story in the island of Santa Prisca, which uh, it seems it's sort of like a Cuba type place. It's supposed to be like, you know, a communist sort of revolutionary country of sorts, I guess. Uh, and uh, Baby Bane is charged with the crimes of his father. That's all we know after the revolution. And uh, the narr- we also learned that the narrator down the road, he's, he's being narrated by Zombie, who Bane, Bane meets in prison, who ends up becoming one of Bane's, uh, I guess, troika of, of cronies. Uh, he is imprisoned at Penaduro Prison. His mom is is, is killed by uh, being fed to sharks. And a little baby Bane, he sees a vision of his future self telling him, to, and future self basically as Bane, telling him to conquer fear, t- telling him to, c- to conquer his fear. This is after he actually falls and gets knocked into a coma. So he has these visions when he's in this coma. And he basically comes out of this coma as a total psycho. Uh, let's see. Uh, this little kid Bane now, he's uh, he's uh, he's probably like I don't know, 10 years old now, and he kills uh, this one guy in prison uh, that, that was like threatening him. And uh, one of the people in the the uh, in the prison, one of the doctors says he is a Bane to everything holy, which is just wonderful because we got a name. We got a real reason for his name, I guess. I guess little kid Bane heard him say that and said, hey, hey, I'm going to use that one. That sounds cool. I, I, you know, I just realized something. When I think of Bane, I think of him in like that Tom Hardy voice. But from what we're supposed to gather from this is he's he's Latin American, at least. I guess. Yeah. I mean, he they, everyone here looks white, but I don't know if that's just the coloring. Uh, of sorts. I, I always thought of him as like, you know, like a Mexican wrestler. <laughs> so I always thought of him as like a luchador type of guy. Batman, I will break you. That is not, that, that, that seems is not like a more ac- I don't know. Well, well, I mean that that sounds that sounds probably more accurate to the comic that I mean to the to the Bane that Dixon's creating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd yeah, say I mean, that. In the yeah. movie he probably shouldn't have that accent if we're going to go with this origin. 
or at least yeah. exactly where it is. Uh, but then because Bane is such a danger here, uh, they put him in this cell and the cell is like every night, every night, the cell fills up with water and Bane has to like, you know, swim to the top and basically like breathe, you know, until the water goes back down. So what a miserable existence. He has to do this every day, but uh, he ends up eating fish out of the water. Like that's how he f- feeds himself because they're not feeding him. They just kind of like leave him here to die. But uh, he basically just, he just survives. Uh, he's a survivor. He, he survives by eating the fish that happen to swim in there and he is able to swim up and, and breathe every night. So this doesn't kill him. I think, I don't know if it's meant to kill him or if it's meant to slowly torture him to death, but I think they assume most people that get tossed down there are not going to live for very long. Uh, There's no respect for human life whatsoever. No, not at all. It's not, Penaduro is not a fun place to be at all. Uh, let's see. He continues to, he goes into these like deep meditations. He's really focusing on, I guess, his inner bane, if you will. And uh, he sees visions of himself killing a bat and killing his fear. So he has like, he has had this vision of a bat type uh, creature. And it's funny, like reading like death metal and stuff like that. And you realize what, what do they call the, the bat demon bar Barbados? Barbados. <laughs> it is Barbados. It's Barbados. Barbados. Okay. Isn't Barbados an island in the Caribbean? <laughs> that too. All right. So uh, Barbados, the bat god. I, it makes me wonder, like, is could you tie all this stuff in together? Could you actually, you know, imagine that Barbados is controlling? Because it looks a lot like him. But what we see now, uh, obviously, these are totally different writers. And I'm sure this wasn't planned in any way. But you could you could retcon yourself that this was Barbados uh, sort of, you know, influencing Bane if you, if you wanted. I, I could I, I could totally I could totally buy it because, you know, when you bring up uh, death metal, uh, you know, Dark Knight's metal, it's it's all Scott Snyder. And if we know something about Scott Snyder is that he's probably going to the comic book store when this is coming out, reading this, and then, like, 30 years later, like, oh, you know what was really cool? That issue where they introduce Bane and he sees the bat. That would be some metal shit if we could put that in here. That would be some metal shit, literally, so I'm going to put it in metal. (laughs) See? Um, I can totally buy that. Totally, yeah. Although I feel like Scott Snyder would have made the connection more clear at some point in his writing, but I could totally see that as like, wow, that looks looks really cool. I should make that a real thing, a real character of sorts. I'd love to ask him that, and then he just looks at me like, you read way too far into it. Nah, man. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to create a weird bad thing, all right? Don't worry about it. Uh, but yeah, let's see. Um, yeah, but he, Bane is just meditating every day and becoming, you know, he's becoming this really uh, well-rounded, fit uh, sort of guy here. He's, he's loving his time there. I don't know if he's loving it, but he's, he's making the best of it, I guess you could say. Kind of like in the pandemic. You can either, you can go one way or the other, you know? Yeah, doing his prison P90X. Exactly. Getting swole. Um, he becomes, uh, he, he kind of gets taken under his wing, uh, no pun intended, by this character named Bird, uh, who is really into birds. He's a falconer. And uh, he learns that Bird has a grudge to settle in Gotham, in this place called Gotham City, with this guy named Novak. And Bane gets curious about this. He's like, oh, he, oh God, what's Gotham City? I want to know about Gotham City. And, uh, you know, and so Bane basically says, like, oh, why don't we, what's wrong with Gotham City? Why don't we go take over Gotham City? He's like, nah, man, Gotham City is run by the Batman. You know, Batman defeats everybody there. We can't, we can't do anything in Gotham city. And then Bane just hears this Batman and says, Batman, you know, and then, then he, you know, when he connects that to that vision he's been having since he was a child of this bat God, Batman, and it just all comes together for Bane. And he becomes obsessed, becomes obsessed with Batman, becomes obsessed with Gotham city. Uh, you know, I think it's just that, that bat connection that he's had since he was a child with these visions. And he just immediately connects that to, to this Batman character when he hears about him. So, uh, Bane continues to just train. He trains like a madman. He gets books smuggled in smuggled in so he can just acquire knowledge and again that's what i like about bane it's not just that he just is becoming this badass physically
physically. Uh, he's becoming a badass mentally uh, with the meditation stuff. He's becoming a badass with all the training and the fighting, and he's becoming a badass through knowledge, uh, through just like they emphasize how much he's reading and how much he's learning. So they really put out that Bane is just really well-rounded in every way, both physically and mentally. He's becoming just, uh, you know, he's becoming just an unstoppable beast uh, within the confines of this prison. And this was all by design. I mean, uh, Dixon, uh, when when I had him on my show, we were talking about, you know, the, the cultural relevance of Bane during, like, the Occupy Wall Street period and other stuff over on my old show. And, uh, you know, one thing he mentioned was, listen, Batman always had two major types of villains, the ones that threatened him, um, you know, intellectually, you know, your Riddlers, Penguins, those types, but were not a threat to him physically. And then those who were a threat to him physically, you know, uh, Mr. Freeze, Scarecrow, that type of thing. Bane is really the combination of the physique and the intellect. Right. He's the full package. Uh, but if Bane wasn't badass enough already, uh, what happens is he really he goes nuts and he just becomes a terror in the prison. He, he starts killing a bunch of different prisoners and he's he's going nuts on everybody in there. And he just becomes he, they can't manage him anymore. So they decide to take Bane and they inject him with this drug called Venom, uh, which is created to create super soldiers. Uh, and this is like a super Venom that, that they've created. Uh, but the Venom has killed five heel before him. So they they pretty much are using it as an experiment. They but they pretty much assume it's going to kill him, uh, which is the, the kind of the whole point here. Um, so he seems to have died from the venom and they they uh, they toss him into the ocean and he gets eaten by a shark just like his mom except he instead of dying and actually being consumed by the shark he rips him's way out of the shark <laughs> and uh can, can, and yeah he basically just becomes a you know a total freak monster he wakes up uh he, with the super venom and he's able to just tear his way out of the shark so uh, he did not suffer the same fate as his mother um and basically he just tosses he goes back into the prison and tosses the bosses to the sharks uh, just like his mom and he also um let's see what did he do why did i read something about the teddy bear Oh yeah, he he had a teddy bear that he, oh, yeah, he that, bear. that he kept with him. Like, yeah, I mean that was like the only thing he had as a child. He named it like, oh, he he had a name for it. It's really adorable. So then when he finally does throw the teddy bear, it's like he's throwing away his last shred of humanity. Right, he throws in that that guy that's like the head of the prison into the water. We assume he gets eaten by sharks and throws the teddy bear in with him. And uh, yeah, basically, we then cut to Gotham City, where Bane and his crew are. Uh, you know, this is obviously some time later, where Bane, his crew, is Zombie, Trog, and Bird are, are his three cronies here uh, that he all met at that prison of Penaduro. Uh, this finishes with Bane confronting some mafia guys, and uh, he basically says, you know, talking about wanting to set up Batman. And um, <clears throat> this is also where he learns. Does he actually fight encounter Batman here? I think he actually does. Yeah, he does actually briefly uh, encounter Batman in this, and this is where he learns that. Batman won't kill. Uh, so that's something that, um, you know, that he, you know, he vows to use that to kill, to destroy Batman's rule of Gotham. And that, that's pretty much how that ends up. But this is a pretty big story. This is a massive story we get here. Um, so yeah, what do you think of the, the origin of Bane? He, he probably has the best origin story of all the Batman's rogues galleries, because I feel like with Batman, uh, I, I think in terms of rogues galleries, Batman has the best. And then I'd probably say, Spider-Man is a runner-up, um, but with 
with Batman's guys, I mean, they, their origin stories aren't very compelling. I think the only compelling origin story that I would say is probably a little bit better than Bane's is uh, Mr. Freeze because of his wife, Nora, Nora Freeze, and uh, her condition. Other than that, you know, Scarecrow's twisted, wants to wants to be a bully of people. We'll never know what, what's really going on with Joker, even with three Jokers going on right now. I mean, everyone is just vague. Riddler is kind of vague. Man Bat is kind of vague we it's all very it's all very just you, what you see is what you get Clayface actor you know bad lab accident oh now he's a clay monster but, but with bane i mean the fact that they gave an entire dedicated issue to a villain they had never done that up until a point usually what they did was they would loop in the origin stories with an with a current batman story so you'd see the origins in like flashbacks but for them to set this up i mean what they're really telling you is this is not going to be a regular villain and this is not going to be a regular challenge for batman i think that's the most compelling part about it all we're being set up up for something insane right i mean this is a massive issue this is like a 60 page issue they dedicated just to the origin of this villain so it's pretty obvious this is going to be something really big and something that chuck dixon put a lot of time and thought into uh, you know as as the creator of bane so yeah it's really an, an amazing origin and one, one where you you both have sympathy for bane and then you also you know learn to realize why he's so badass why he's not only physically superior in every way uh d- d- you know, between the training and the super venom and all the meditation and everything that he's done, all the reading. I mean, this is just they've built him up as this well-rounded, almost perfect villain for Batman. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so let's see. That's how it starts. The Vengeance of Bane. And then we go into a couple Batman issues. And I think uh, these next two Batman issues, Batman 491 and 492, uh, these are b- both by Doug Mensch. Uh, art is by Jim Aparo in 491, uh, by Norm Brayfogle in 492. And then after those two Batman issues, we'll be bouncing between Batman and Detective. And I think this is one reason Nightfall came across a lot better than, say, a Maximum Carnage, where they're bouncing between four different titles with four different writers, or even The Death of Superman, where they're bouncing through, I think, four different Superman titles as well. This was just Chuck Dixon and Doug Mensch back and forth. And I think you can do this when you have two writers that are on the same page uh, and, and they're just they know exactly what they're doing issue to issue. Uh, it's a lot easier to create a cohesive story uh, with two writers like this than, than when you're trying to do it across four different stories, uh, you know, four different books and four different writers. It just always becomes a mess. There's just no way to avoid that. And, uh, you know, we, we definitely saw that when we looked at Maximum Carnage. So I think that's that's one big reason that it, it almost feels I mean, you, sometimes you barely notice that you're going from one book to a next or you're going from one writer to the next. That's how consistent it seems. I mean, with them, and, and you're going to go ahead and you know show this as you go over the issues, like it's extremely cohesive. They actually planned this out. I feel like you know with Maximum Carnage as a great example of a, a bad multi-title crossover event, you have no clue where things are leading. Things are started, and then they're dropped, and things are alluded to, and then they, they never come back. And then we get to the end of the story, and we're like, what was the point of this? With Nightfall, you don't get that it just keeps escalating and escalating and escalating and then when you get to the end of it you're like well damn things are never going to be the same and i love every second of it so yeah, Batman 491, this is where we basically, and like I said, I'm not going to go through this panel by panel. I think that's going to be a little too arduous, but we'll try to cover the, you know, the main things that happen in these issues. Uh, but in 491, Batman plans, which is basically where we learn of, of Bane's plan. Uh, his plan is to release all the prisoners from Arkham Asylum, which is where basically every Batman villain ever is kept. And he's basically, he's using the Joker as the leader because I think he, as with his research, he realized the Joker is the only one that can be the leader amongst this, groups, uh, amongst this group of villains. Uh, the only one they might kind of 
kind of follow out of Arkham in a way, uh, at least in terms of getting out of there. Uh, Batman intervenes during this whole attempt uh, and he saves Jeremiah Arkham from the Joker. Uh, but in doing so, as often happens with Batman, when he goes to save one person and we'll see this throughout the story because he does the quote unquote right thing and goes to save someone, an innocent life or what have you, uh, it allows other people to escape. So in this case, uh, he does save Jeremiah Arkham, but everyone else escapes Ar- you know, Arkham Asylum. So now essentially Batman's entire rogues gallery uh, has been released into the world. Uh, so I think I think just the plot in general is just so ingenious. I mean, Bane is not just going to go show up in Gotham City and fight Batman one on one. He's going to go and try and just use Batman's entire rogues gallery against him and just unleash chaos on the city. So what do you just think of Bane's plan overall here? It's it's really showing that, you know, the, this guy who's just so, so, so masculine, so dominating on the page, he, he's got a brain. And we don't see this in a lot of villains who are both physically intimidating, but also are extremely cunning and lethal with that. Um, and, you know, what Bane's trying to essentially do is he's trying to basically say, I don't need to go in and face Batman when he's at his peak. I can let all these other people bring him down so then I can go in and take him down and know I'm going to win. And that's that's the best thing you, you want to do when you take someone down. It's like, why do I have to put forth most of the work when I can have other people kind of do my fighting for me, so to speak? Because it's not that it's not that Bane can't. It's that Bane wants to ensure he can win. Yeah, Bane's not like one of these villains that has to prove that he can just take Batman out at his best. That you know, he did nothing like that. He wants to beat Batman, and he wants to do it by wearing him down, by using a bunch of other people to wear him down. So that by the time he gets to him, uh, you know, he's just going to be he's going to be almost almost devastated and and you know, prime for the picking, so to speak. So it, it's brilliant. It's a, it's a it's a smart plan, and it's a plan that lets us, like you said, through the storytelling, let you see not only how Batman is a human, but how you get to learn about. It's a great jumping on point because you know, this is where I jumped on the Batman. And I got to learn about like all of Batman's entire rogues gallery, basically in like a couple months here of reading the story uh, as someone who wasn't familiar with a lot of them prior outside of, you know, what I was seeing. I think the, the animated series came out just prior to this. And I, I was watching that. So I think that was most of my familiarity with Batman or maybe right, right, right around the same time. What, what I will say is that this is also one of the first Batman stories where you're seeing it not just from the view of Batman. Typically, writing it in the detective noir style, you're seeing everything from Batman's view. So then you're hopefully trying to figure out, you know, who committed the crime? How did they do so? From, from the bat, you know who's committing the crime and how they're doing it. So now you get to see it from somebody who's targeting Batman instead of somebody who's being chased by Batman. Yeah, so uh, we then cut on to Batman 492 again by Doug Mensch, art by Norm Brayfogel. And I, I really love one of the first pages in this. Uh, this is where he it's Batman and Robin looking at the screen and it shows all the prisoners that were released to all of his rogues gallery. And it's just a really cool shot because you get to see, you know, you get to see Joker, you get to see Two-Face, Ventriloquist, Zaz, Poison Ivy, Film Freak, Mad Hatter, Amygdala, uh, Maxi Zeus, like people that I had never even heard of, obviously as someone who'd been familiar with the Batman movies and the animated series actually started in 92. So I would have already been watching it by this point. Uh, I'd heard of a lot of these guys, obviously knew about the Joker, Mad Hatter, Scarecrow, but I, I sure as hell didn't know who Maxi Zeus was or Amygdala or Cornelius Stirk, a lot of the guys that we see Batman have to deal with throughout this. So it's, it's a really good mix of like the, the, the classic Batman villains and then a bunch of obscure villains. And I'm sure to this day, Tom King, little Tom King is sad that t- that Kite Man is not in this rogues gallery. Where's Kite Man? Maybe this is obsession with Kite Man came from his exclusion <laughs> from the story. Speaking of origin that stories, was Tom. That was Tom King's uh, supervillain origin. 
Oh, man. See, I, I, I think, man, I don't know. I, I, I'm going to try to avoid another Tom King rant. We just did this last episode. So, you know, go back and listen to the, the pandemic reading list last, last episode if you want some more of my thoughts about Tom King's odd obsession with, with Kite Man. Uh, but we do not get Kite Man in this episode, in this episode, in this issue. Uh, we do get the Mad Hatter. So this is basically the first villain uh, that Batman and Robin are going to be dealing with. This is, of course, the Tim Drake Robin, as uh, Jason Todd was killed a few years before this, uh, before he would later be resurrected as the Red Hood and be in an amazing series called Batman 3 Jokers, which I am reviewing on our website at secondprintcomics.com. Boom. Talk about a plug. I, I, I bought that based off your recommendation. I was going to wait to get it as a graphic novel, but I went ahead and grabbed an actual uh, copy from one of the local comic shops, and it is as good as you said it was. Yeah, sadly, you were just, you, you were spoiled by reading the review because it was a spoiler-filled review. But um... you, you know, my thing is, if a, if a story is good, the spoilers won't ruin it. Yeah, and even as I was reading it, there were still things that you didn't mention because it's impossible to mention every little thing there were things that I picked up reading it. That's why, you know, it's like with movies. I don't just go off the reviews. I usually wiki the story to, you know, you know, satisfy my need for a spoiler. But if a movie's good, it's going to be good. Same goes for comics. I mean, th- this applies here because if if you know the ending, yeah, that can quote unquote spoil something. But if the story is good, it shouldn't really matter. I mean, we all knew the death of Superman, what, what the end of that was. <laughs> <laughs> We can go back. I mean, they call it the death of Superman. So there, there's no confusion here. It was a spoiler alert from the beginning. Uh, this as well, I believe it was publicly known. I don't know if they knew he was necessarily going to have his back broken, but I think they had made it clear that this was going to result in Bruce Wayne being removed from the role of Batman. So you pretty much know going into this that Bane's going to win, um, you know, but if you've been following the news at all or anything like that. or um, So it's, it's not really like a shocking story. But again, I think that the biggest difference here between this and a lot of other stories where you know the outcome and essentially, you know, the outcome of every comic book story, because at some point or the other, the hero is going to win, even if the hero gets defeated, uh, as he does here in Nightfall. Uh, but yeah, it's really the storytelling that makes the difference. And here, I think the, co- the, the cohesiveness between Doug Mensch and Chuck Dixon and uh, the cohesiveness of this story, like I said, you might never realize that you're going from writer to writer in this. I mean, it's, it's really that no. consistent across the board. But we start off with the Mad Hatter. Uh, Batman gets invited to a tea party, which is, of course, the Mad Hatter's thing. Uh, the Mad Hatter also uses his, his uh, little monkey friend <laughs> to put a tracking device on Bird's Bird. So Hatter is also trying to, you know, kind of figure out what's going on with Bane as well. Um, there's also been a little like attention building being built up between Batman and Robin here. Like Robin often wants to do a lot more. He wants to get a lot involved, a lot more involved. And uh, a lot of times Batman just kind of wants him to sit, sit aside and for him to do the heavy lifting and such. Um, but um, yeah, that, that's kind of a theme we'll see th- pr- play out through Nightfall, especially as uh, Bruce slash Batman gets more and more worn down as the storyline goes on. Uh, let's see. But um, uh, Mad Hatter is also controlling the film freak, who's one of Batman's, I guess, C or D list villains. Uh, he wants film freak to find out who busted them out because no one even really knows why this happened at this point. They don't know uh, who Bane is. They don't even really know that they're part of a grander plan. They've just been released. And since they're villains, they start doing villain stuff. Uh, and you can tell during this battle, uh, you know, you know, they, they have a classic Batman Robin versus, you know, Hatter and all the people he's you know brainwashed with this little Mad Hatter tracking uh, Mad Hatter, Mad Hatter mind control device. Uh, but Batman is already struggling even say that three times fast Mad Hatter's track Mad Hat- i can't i don't even know what i said one day <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah but, uh, but but it's essentially of course batman and robin beat the mad hatter and his uh, hat controlled cronies uh and then bane murders the film freak who with a sick headbutt uh so they've established uh, the headbutt as bane's finishing move here and uh i, I gotta feel like film freak probably does come back in comics at some point just because it's never a final death. Did you know much, much about Film Freak before this? No. Did you know much about him after this? <laughs> Still no. Okay, great. 
<laughs> I'm sure he appears in, in one of Tom King's, you know, in, in one of Tom King's stories. I'll have a three ep- three issue origin story. For Kite Friday. Man and Film Freak. It's like a buddy cop team up. <laughs> Uh, and that is the end of that. Now we're going to hop over to Detective Comics 659 by Chuck Dixon. And uh, this is where we see the uh, Amygdala, who's basically just a big, muscly dummy, and the Ventriloquist team up. One thing I like with the Ventriloquist, uh, this is a kind of a running story throughout Nightfall. Ventriloquist is looking for Scarface. Now, uh, the Ventriloquist is just basically this this guy, uh, this fat guy who controls a, a ventriloquist dummy, but he's looking for Scarface, who is basically his split personality, uh, but he's really not the villain until he gets Scarface, who is the villain. So, throughout Nightfall, you constantly see the ventriloquist, like, asking people where Scarface is, and trying to find where Scarface is. So, I don't know, he doesn't really do too much in the overall story, at least this part of the story. Uh, he plays a role later on in Nightfall, uh, but I kind of just enjoyed the background story of the ventriloquist seeking out uh, Scarface throughout this whole thing. The, the best way I could describe it is is like um oh what was the movie it wasn't split uh with um with the guy who plays professor x yeah uh, that's probably the best way to do it like depending on which personality you get is you know it's gonna be a completely different person but that's what builds up and i mean the, the one thing that i did notice uh years after reading it the first time was that the reason why we're being exposed to so many like c-list b-list villains and why you know it's like they're progressively getting more dangerous is this is really supposed to what, what i love about nightfall is it really is a love letter to batman over the years and what we're seeing is that over the years he's had to deal with more and more and more dangerous threats and that with each villain he's encountered they've only gotten progressively more dangerous so you're going from someone like film freak and all those other dudes to the ventriloquist who i i actually believe he's a pretty terrifying villain all the way to eventually riddlers or jokers and now we're getting bane who's like the apex predator of supervillains yep and uh, yeah, it, just somewhere at some point in this episode, in this episode, at some point in this issue, I'm never going to stop doing this, am I? Mixing up the word episode and issue. I believe in you. Um, at some point in this issue, there, there was a confusing reference to me. They referenced Kane, uh, Bane taking out Killer Croc and almost taking out John Claude, who is of course Azrael. He's kind of been training under Batman during this time too. Uh, it took me a second. I, for a second, I was like, wait, am I reading these out of order? But I guess we had actually seen Bane prior to these uh, stories. A couple issues prior in Detective Comics, uh, he had taken out Killer Croc at some point and also had gotten into a battle with Jean-Claude and then had also there was they had found the Riddler injected with venom at one point which we later find out that was Bane so uh that that kind of ties into things later when, when Batman's trying to figure out things out and figure out what Bane's plan is because he's thinking you know why would he release the Riddler and the Joker if he's also attacking them before so he's, he's she, you know it, it, it's confusing Batman exactly what Bane's motivation is until until they get to the final confrontation down the road but uh yeah battles basically bat- Batman takes out uh Amygdala while Robin gets into a battle uh, with Bird, with Bane's lackey Bird, who's been been tracking him. Or I guess Robin kind of realized he's being tracked by the Bird and then got into a fight with Bird. Um, but at the end of this thing, Amygdala gets taken down, Bird escapes, and the ventriloquist is still free. He's still out there looking for Scarface. Poor guy. Uh, we then head over to uh, Batman 493 by Doug Mensch and Norm Greyfogel. Uh, this one features the villain Mr. Zazz. How much did you know about Mr. Zazz before this? I knew Mr. Zazz was a super freak, counting himself for super each person freak, he kills. Freak. He's super freaky. He likes to cut himself all over. It's just, ah, uh, did, did you see uh, Did you see Birds of Prey? I did, actually. I did actually watch that just uh, on a whim a couple weeks ago. 
That that is a uh, that's pe- people complain about that interpretation. He he, he is what you get. Uh, Zaz is really the embodiment of like your psycho serial killer, and he was made. Uh, he was actually introduced in his own special as well. I think it was an issue of uh, Legends of the Dark Knight, and Zaz is really supposed to represent like this Jeffrey Dahmer, um, you know, Ted Bundy type of serial killer that you're seeing a lot of, you know, come up like post Zodiac era in the late seventies through the early nineties. So he was really supposed to be a reflection of the horror that people are seeing on the news screen in the comic book finally because we've never really had villains that just murder people just because they like it and Zaz is truly one of those freaky people that Batman has to deal with. And is he a major threat? No, he's not smart. He's not super dangerous. But it's his willingness to literally have no boundaries that makes him so lethal. Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a fairly scary, like, sea level villain, I'd say. I wouldn't want to be in a room with him. Wow. He looks gross. <laughs> All those sores and cuts. You, you stick, you stick, you stick. Yeah, I mean, you stick me with, like, you know, Riddler, Penguin film freak i mean i'm i'm not intimidated by them yeah, you put me in a room i'll with, take on i'm not worried yeah yeah you put me in a room with victor zaz and i'm 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 gonna shit some bricks yeah. one thing i forgot to mention because this keeps coming up uh throughout the story they keep going back to this uh appearances on tv of this guy whose name is dr simpson flanders i wonder where they where they came up with that name uh but uh this was back in detective and i know chuck dixon is a big uh, det- uh big simpsons fan and has actually written the simpsons simpsons comic book in the past believe it or not when i interviewed chuck dixon a couple of years ago, oh man, it's probably four or five years ago by now, uh, over on Lions of Liberty, he mentioned that his two favorite characters to write were the Punisher and Lisa Simpson. <laughs> Those are so diametrically different yeah, people. Which I found <laughs> odd and funny, but uh, yeah. So, so I'm sure this Dr. Simpson Flanders is a, a reference to the Simpsons from Chuck Dixon, but we see him oh, yeah. here on TV a lot, and uh, he writes this book, I'm Sane and So Are You. And uh, basically, he comes out and is basically just like making excuses for all these villains, uh, for like the villainous acts of all these villains. Uh, he's basically saying they're a result of, of like, you know, of society and, and yada, yada, yada. So that's just kind of an underlying current uh, that, that they go back to uh, often. So what would you think of that, that kind of storyline that, that's kind of in the background the whole time with this, this doctor that keeps appearing? I, I think it's good for the purpose of understanding the the evolution of the villains because now we're really starting. I okay, and this is a criticism I've had of Batman villains as a whole. I don't think many of them are actually insane, and I think we see this not not to get into current events or anything, but like whenever there's a mass shooting, whenever we're dealing with people who are obviously evil, I think we need to separate out people who are like clinically insane, mentally ill from people who are just evil, sadistic people who know what they're doing and they like doing it. And that's where I would put Bane. Bane is not insane. Uh, I wouldn't even say the Joker is insane. I think they fully know what they're doing. I think that they are just, you know, they, they are as biblically evil and sinister as they, as they come off and they know what they're doing and they're willing to do it uh you know it's not like let's say i mean i i think two-face is probably the only like mentally ill clinically insane batman villain i'll, I'll say that because of his split personality well yeah he's certified he's certified yeah that and ventriloquist, ventriloquist they're, yeah. they're probably yeah i mean probably them everyone else this whole oh throw them in arkham they need to be in a straitjacket and they need therapy it's like no put them put them in freaking put, put them in leavenworth penitentiary put them in rikers it is a weird thing how just batman villains specifically all get to go to the insane asylum instead of you know instead of actual prison 
Yeah, like put them in Sing Sing, literally. I mean, they're they're not sick, they're evil. And I think, you know, that, that's been, I, I don't know if this was done deliberately, so this is a pure Remso thought, but I think with Dr. Simpson Flanders, it's making the reader question. It's like, are these people really just crazy? Or are they, like, can't, can't we just say that they, they're just certifiably evil? I think Victor Zaz is certifiably evil and mentally ill. I mean, they, they, they don't always have to be mutually exclusive, but I mean, they, they come off in different shades and that's what nightfall does. It really makes you look at the evolution of these villains to really make yourself wonder, you know, what will eventually break Batman? Yeah. And no one really feels generic here. Even like the C and D list villains, they, they let them get a whole story. I mean, Zaz gets an entire, you know, an entire issue here, essentially uh, dealing with his uh, keeping these teenage girls hostage, uh, dealing with Batman and Robin, trying to find the best way to get to him without getting the girls hurt. And I mean, it's not like a blowaway story, but it's a good story. And I think that that runs consistently throughout. Like, I mean, individually, like a lot of these issues are, are, pretty good uh but they're all good you know there's not there's really no there's no no like bummer stories here there's no like all right this one i'll just kind of try to get through they all they make it so that batman uh, and robin also really have to go through a trial with each with each one of these villains a particular challenge of some kind 100 yeah, yeah. yeah and here it's how to kind of how to defeat zaz without having get letting any of these teenage girls you know hostage girls be killed um, and then still, there's a lot of tension building between Batman and Robin. They're building that up all throughout this thing, uh, just about Robin not being able to get as involved as he wants, and, and you know, kind of him telling. Alfred is also uh, already telling Bruce, like, "Hey, you gotta relax here, man. You're you're driving yourself nuts." He's like, "Well, I'm I'm Batman, and I gotta take care of this stuff. It's that simple." And uh, Bane knows that Batman is being weakened, but he says he's not ready for the kill shot just yet. He he's he's definitely gonna let him go through a lot more. Um, yeah, but Batman does, of course, defeat Zaz here. Uh, but he's looking beat. He's looking defeated in, in the last panel of this issue. He's just, they just show Batman. Uh, just about a rooftop, just like, just like, just looking so defeated. And it's so early too. It's like, you know, there's so much more ahead for him. So they, they really do a good job th- throughout this of showing a uh, Batman continually to continuing to be more and more like defeated and beat after every single villain he faces. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's every, everything feels deliberate. Uh, my, my biggest problem with maximum carnage was that nothing felt like it was really meant to last. Right. Oh yeah, no, that was that was a one and done with with zero consequence whatsoever. Each yeah. one of those stories, and so many of the stories in Maximum Carnage were just replaceable. It se- it seemed like every couple issues we we're breaking up the battle and having people go do their own thing, and then bring them at- back for the same battle with basically the same people with another with another cameo or so. I mean, there's nothing special about it. Like Maximum Carnage could have been told in four, five, six issues. This had to be drawn out. This this actually made sense for it to be drawn out. This wasn't just drawn out. I'm sure sales is a part of it. It is a business. We want to sell books, uh, but this isn't simply drawn out uh, to try to get more and more issues out of this. It actually is logical or maybe it is but they did it within a way that was actually logical and makes sense within the story because as we're reading these stories we're we're, we're feeling batman get more and more uh beaten down as we go here so i think uh drawing this out over these few months uh actually lets the reader kind of you know kind of feel what batman is going through and feel the time passing in many ways uh whereas maximum carnage you know this could have been there's no reason for that to be drawn out over you know 14 comic book issues other than sales yeah, yeah. We're, I'm going to bring up Max and Carnage a lot. I think as, as Max and Carnage and Tom King, I think are going to be staples that we point back to as as things that I don't like, <laughs> things that you shouldn't do, you but have been done. But I have weird obsessions with things like that. So I like I want to go. I want to go see what they did with with Bane. Now I want to go watch the Harley Quinn show. It's like bad. It's like bad. Good. It's like good bad movies. They're terrible, but we watch them anyway. Exactly. Exactly. And some of my favorite, uh, you know, I'm a big, big pro wrestling fan, but some of my favorite pro wrestling matches are, are bad pro wrestling matches. Uh, I'll just give you one right now because I want to toss a little bone to my friends, the North South Connection feed. There is a match about oh, 14, 15 years ago when Hulk Hogan was 
barely hanging on, but still wrestling. And he wrestled Shawn Michaels. Okay. Uh, he was also a huge star and, uh, Shawn Michaels did not want to lose to Hulk Hogan. Uh, he thought it was stupid that he should be losing to, to this like 50 year old guy at this point. Uh, so he, but the, they said, no, Hogan's Hogan, Hogan said, no, I'm not. They, they talked about different ways they could end the match. And Hogan just said like, no, that's not going to happen. I'm just going to beat you. Like he is. So, so Shawn Michaels in real life now is really pissed off going into this, this pre scripted match. Uh, so Sean is so pissed off and he decides I'm going to make this ridiculous as ridiculous as possible. So I, I, I have to look this up sometime. I, I mean, I don't know if you dabble into pro wrestling. Now I'm in, now I'm intrigued, but this match is amazing to watch because Shawn Michaels just like does this ridiculous stuff. Like Hogan throws him into the corner and Michaels just does these crazy bumps that are just so cartoonish. Like he literally looks like bugs bunny and he's doing, and when you know the real story <laughs> that he's doing it on purpose to look re, to just to make this whole thing look absurd, uh, it's absolutely hilarious. And you can never call that a good wrestling match in any way because it's not by any sort of, you know, objective standard of what might make a quote unquote good match. Uh, but it's it's one of my favorite things to watch because it's so hilariously bad and purposely bad. Um, so, yeah, I don't even know why I was talking about that, because oh my obsession with reading, reading bad things, reading and watching bad things. And bad it things. all loops back together. If you're not into pro wrestling and you don't think you would be, I, I encourage you to go watch that one match from, I think, SummerSlam 2005 or 2006 and just just enjoy Just enjoy the show, friends. Uh, but moving on, Detective Comics number 660. Our, back to our friend Chuck Dixon here. Um, I really love the art one in this one. There's art by uh, guest artist Jim Ballant, and I really loved his Killer Croc. And uh, this is a little divergence from a lot of what we've been seeing, where Batman has to go through this rogues gallery of villains. Uh, this is actually starts off with Killer Croc and the sewers looking for Bane. He's going after Bane, because uh, I guess, again, before this, I'm, I'm not sure why, but in a previous Detective Comics issue, a few a few months before this series started, uh, Bane Bane had attacked Killer Croc and uh, had like broken his arms. And I guess Killer Croc knew knew who this was, so he was he was searching for this guy who had attacked him. Uh, Robin is also tracking Bird, and he ends up following Bane through through his tracking of Bird. And uh, he is, of course, in the process of tracking Bane. He is captured and captured and blindfolded by Bane. Um, so Croc actually shows up and he unblindfolds Robin uh, and he, you know, he's really mad that Bane had, had broken his arm. So he actually like uh, releases Robin here. Uh, and then Bane and, and Killer Croc just have this big battle in the sewers as uh, Robin uh, ends up almost nearly drowning in the sewers as the issue ends. So this is kind of a little divergence. We didn't focus too much on Batman here. It was more just like kind of a Robin story with a big battle between uh, Killer Croc and Bane. But I kind of uh, enjoyed this as a little bit of change of pace and a little bit of showing that, uh, you know, the shades of gray here, like Bane is not, like all the villains aren't just buddies here you know this is this is a little more nuanced than that yeah i mean i think this really shows the the depth of batman's world and his cast of characters like he has a uniquely um what's the word i'm looking for like he, he has a unique world with really interesting characters while each superhero kind of has their own, you know, regular cast and supporting uh, themes and stuff like that. Like there's a reason why Batman's mythos and the world of Batman is so beloved. It's because you could remove Batman from, uh, from the story, but I mean, Gotham city, the bat family, the villains, the G uh, the GCPD, like they are so interesting. They can carry a story themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is basically, I think you saw Batman in like two, 
two panels of this. Once when he was just like laying down and once when he's talking to like Harvey Bullock. Like he's, he's basically not in this issue at all. Uh, it's really more of like a Robin issue. And I think that's part of what Nightfall is because even though it is not Robin that will be replacing Batman eventually uh, when he gets his back broken, that will be Azrael. Um, really, this was setting up a lot of different stories because as Batman takes his year off, you get a bunch of different miniseries. And one of those is a Robin miniseries that I did purchase at the time. So they're, they're still setting these up, these characters up to do their own thing and have their own stories being told. So I think that's part of why uh, they're giving Tim Drake Robin a little bit more independence here uh, as we go, especially in, in uh, Chuck Dixon's Detective Comics. Yeah, I've never been a Tim Drake fan, but like th- this is an example of a, of a good Robin story. He's a he's a he's a basic Robin, you know. He's not he's not you know uh, angry and uh, you know kind of having those like that retribution story that Jason Todd has. Uh, he's just he's just a good kid who wants to do right, you know. He, he's I mean I, I always felt like he was kind of vanilla. He's he's yeah. the filler Robin. Like I even I even like Damien more than him. Yeah. I mean, Tim Drake is supposed to be vanilla. And I think I think in many ways that Robin was supposed to be vanilla because when Robin's once Robin's not vanilla, like there's no reason for him to be Robin anymore. Now he'll go be Nightwing. You know, now he'll go be, you know, do whatever Damian Wayne is doing in Teen Titans or what have you. you know, once you're more interesting to be Robin, then they want to do something more with you than just being Robin. Uh, that's the way yeah. I always kind of see it at Robin. So for Robin to stay Robin, he almost has to be really boring at some point. But uh, you know, he's all right. Really I can he's see okay. that. He's OK here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but then moving on to Batman 494 by Doug Mench and Jim Aparo. Uh, we continue to see Robin getting flushed through the sewers here. Uh, we also see the Joker teaming up with a guy named Cornelius Sterk. Did you have any familiarity with Cornelius Sterk before this? He was another one who was just randomly put in front of me. Yeah, I did not remember this character at all. Uh, at, no. I, like rereading this right now, I literally had no recollection of, of that name or that character. When you when you Google the character, only scenes from Nightfall come up. Yeah, I don't I don't think he did much in the Batman mythos at all. No. Uh, but yeah, Joker is basically using him to uh, to go after Commissioner Gordon here. Uh, and ba- Batman is looking for. Yeah, Cornelius Sturk. Oh, yeah, I actually wrote down Remzo. Are you familiar with Cornelius Sturk? That's, that's, that's <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Scarecrow is obsessively looking for Joker. We don't really know why he's harassing a lot of Joker's old cronies and he wants to find the Joker. Uh, let's see. And I guess a Sturk's thing is he uses hypnosis to make people see different things. So he lured, uh, basically he lured in Gordon cause Gordon had set off the bat signal and Sturk Sturk showed up, but he did some kind of hypnosis that made Gordon see him as Batman. So it's kind of like another one of those villains, like almost like Clayface that can appear as anybody, but it's, it's with a different method instead of changing his appearance. I mean, that, that's, that sounds like, it sounds like it's kind of like, you know, stealing Mad Hatter's gimmick. With the control band, it's pretty much hypnotic clayface because he, he makes you see other things. Is kind of like how he uses his his his, his uh, hypnotism. So yeah, it's it's basically the same power as clayface in the result. He's a he, you know he he's a he's a one and done guy, but like he he provides value to the story. I'll give him that. He works. He works for what he needs to do here, which is just kidnap Commissioner Gordon for a minute. Uh, and Batman does end up saving, uh, saving, um, saving Commissioner Gordon from Stirk as Joker watches from a rooftop uh, right across the street. Uh, when the Scarecrow shows up, and he is, he kind of goes after Joker. Uh, he's really pissed that that Joker used Cornelius Stirk for a job that needed fear when he got the the Scarecrow right here. He's the fear guy. Uh, so basically, uh, so the Joker says, "Yeah, you're right. What was I thinking? I got, I got to use the Scarecrow here." So uh, Joker and Scarecrow team up, and they they become kind of like the mega last bosses that, that Batman's got to face through the regular rogues gallery here. Uh, Cause they're teamed up throughout this thing. And this will be an ongoing story through the end of nightfall. They, they capture the mayor and they are terrorizing the mayor, mayor Kroll with scarecrow gas. So what do you think about this little team up we see here of, of Joker and scarecrow? 
I always like it. That's why whenever they've shown them in, whether it be the the Gotham series or any of the Arkham games, you know that things are always going to probably hit hit the craziest point. So whenever these two team up for something, I love it. And that pretty much sums up that issue. Then we then hop back over to Chuck Dixon and Detective 661, Chuck Dixon and Graham Nolan with the art. Uh, the mayor is still being terrorized by the scarecrow and the Joker here. Uh, they want the mayor to tell the firefighter a union boss that he's thinking of cutting the rolls. Uh, this will actually tie into the story at some point here because, um, because at the same time, uh, this guy firefly is wreaking havoc. This is a character. Uh, are you familiar with firefly? Runs yes. I, I, the first time I saw firefly was in the Batman animated series. And uh, he, he's always like, I feel like over the years, he's gotten more and more uh, interesting. But this is probably the first time for comic book readers that they're seeing a Firefly that's actually being used for something serious. And he's not just, you know, a throwaway story villain. Yeah. And I guess I guess maybe the logic, the thought here was maybe they somehow were working with Firefly or new Firefly was going to cause havoc because, you know, I guess maybe that's why the fire department isn't showing up. That's why they're telling the mayor to, like, you know, piss off the fire department because Firefly is about to go on this rampage. Um, so Firefly is at uh, Batman and Robin show up to this uh, St. Elmo's amusement park, uh, St. Elmo's Pure amusement park, um, where where Firefly is going on a rampage. But as has been a theme throughout this, Batman doesn't want Robin to help. Uh, he so Batman goes after him. Eventually, Firefly escapes, and then Batman's like, "All right, you want to go after him? Fine, go do some research on Firefly because I got to go do some other shit. So you you take care of this, Robin. Fine. Uh, he's really he's really getting uh, snippy with Robin lately." Uh, we also have the ventriloquist quiz has showed up here. He's interrogating the mayor about where Scarface is. Uh, and the mayor says that uh, well, Scarface, well, he, I guess he would be in the evidence locker. And, um, you know, ventriloquist basically wants the mayor to to help him get Scarface out. So this is that little background storyline is still going on. Uh, meanwhile, Robin is at an orphanage looking into Garfield Lins. That is the uh, the fi- the uh, Firefly's pseudonym or is I guess that's his real name. <laughs> his pseudonym would be Firefly. Um, so he's, he's really doing some research into this character to try to get to, uh, get to the heart of why, uh, of what's motivating him so they can tr- kind of try to get a, get a leg up on him. Uh, and then also as we end this episode, we see Batman fight another villain known as the Cavalier. Remzo, are you familiar with the Cavalier? Once again, I had never heard of him. <laughs> never will again, I don't think. No. Yeah, that's why I think it's a really good mix of like, you know, the A A level villains like Scarecrow and Joker and everybody's doing stuff, especially now there's just there's different layers. You see what Joker and Scarecrow are doing in the background. You see Bane in the background of the whole thing. And then you see Batman having to deal with these various other level villains. Some he takes care of easily, like the Cavalier. Some who you might not think much of are giving them a, giving them a little more trouble, like Firefly. I, I think I think that's part of the recipe, though. And that's why, you know, all these people work out. It's because, you know. Yeah, they're not much of a they're not much of a threat to him. But, you know, when you're dealing with all of these guys coming together, like they're going to drain you mentally, physically, emotionally, like it, it it plays a toll. So for all these guys who have come across the uh, 60 years of Batman at this point to all come out at once, like this is really his his, you know, his biggest crucible. Yep. And uh, basically this uh, now Batman, um, 
battles Firefly at the end of this, and that spills over into uh, the next issue, which is Batman number four ninety five. Uh, they're ba- they're again still battling in this fi- fiery inferno, um, and Batman still is not able to get a, a leg up on Firefly at this point. Um, we also I also wrote down Azrael is playing dress up. He's kind of like in this ninja outfit um, that will it's basically what we'll see him in until uh, you know, until he becomes Batman. I, I think we should talk about Azrael for a second for people that aren't. Sure, yeah, we haven't talked about him much. Yeah, so Azrael was part of essentially this cult of uh, these Knights Templar-looking dudes who were basically like super vigilantes. I mean, they're they're everything Batman isn't. And when he's originally introduced, he's a villain, but eventually he becomes uh, he he gets this point where he respects Bruce Wayne. And he's like, you know, I'm willing to try things differently, uh, and I'll I'll see what you're doing because you're you're the biggest symbol of justice in the world. So this is Azrael, who's gone from being more of like a punisher with a sword to now being not not a sidekick but somebody who's willing to be more of like an apprentice to Bruce Wayne so at this point you know he's willing to fight and see how things are Batman's way but he's not a big fan of that yeah he's definitely more of a kick some ass and worry about you know worry about things later and uh, yeah and, and his and his real version John Paul Valley I think he's a he's a GCPD detective in this story before he becomes wait what do you mean I don't know. I, what, 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 what's a, I think I think John Paul Valley was a cop at this point. Before he's Azrael? I think I think before. Maybe I might be wrong. I think you're mixing things up. This seems crazy. Probably. I'm getting him. Oh, I, I'm getting him confused with a different version. Oh, from, is this like some from, new 52 thing? It, it, I think it was from either New 52 or one, or Gotham or something. Okay, I think yeah. they brought him in for Gotham. Yeah, in this version, he was just an assassin created by the Order of St. Dumas. I don't think. Right. That's it. Yeah, no, I got confused with the Gotham version. Gotcha. Well, that's weird. They just make him a cop in that. Oh, they they do a lot of things. It's not it's not well done. Okay, yeah, I, I watched about a half a season of Gotham, and then I was I was done. You know what? I just couldn't stand. I, I think we had, might have had this conversation before. I don't like the guy from the OC as a, as a Commissioner Gordon. I just I can't really. Really? Can't do it. It's that I wish it's because I it's because I used to watch the OC and I just see him as that guy. It's not it's not even his fault. I'm just, you know, it's a it's a mental block I have. I can't get past it. I can't take him seriously as a commission or as a future. How do you how do you feel about how do you feel about Robert Pattinson being Batman? Uh fine because i didn't spend years watching a show where he was so, <laughs> i have seen twilight okay so you're not so you're not so you're not on the twilight hate train no, i'm not pretty now actually to be yeah. honest, if you want me to be honest right now i've seen those movies and they're not that bad they're not they're like not they're not good. as but yeah like okay. i i will not i will not say they're great films that i want to watch repeatedly but i don't have the hatred for them that many people do no they're seen as like kitty kitty teenage you know yeah. drama flicks and they are to an extent. And that's how he started. Everyone has to start one way. So Hugh Jackman was, was doing the, the, the boy from Rio right. on Broadway. And now, and then he, then he became Wolverine. The guy, they're actors. They could do many different things. No, I'm looking forward to the patents of Batman. I, I'm, I'm very, yeah. very open-minded on that one, but not on, uh, I don't even know this guy's name. That's the commissioner Gordon. You know what? And I'm not going to look it up. I don't care. It's not worth it. <laughs> you're, you're guy from the OC. That's all that matters to me right now. Uh, let's see. Um, 
continuing this issue. Uh, so yeah, Firefly, I don't think, yeah, he did not defeat Firefly here. So Firefly has given him a, like a little bit of trouble over a couple different uh, issues here. He's, he's had to confront Firefly twice and twice has not defeated him. So already Batman is, I don't know if Batman is losing a step, but he's having trouble. You know, he's not just running through everybody either. Uh, some, some people, some of these villains are giving him trouble across multiple issues. Uh, and again, here you just see that Batman is fucking exhausted. Um, he, but he still decides he has to go to this fundraiser, you know, cause, cause Alfred's like, you know, if he just, you know, everyone knows Batman is is getting you know run down here. If you just stop, if Bruce, if Bruce Wayne just stops stops appearing in the public eye, people might start wondering what's going on. So Batman's like, yeah, yeah, I guess I got to go to the fundraiser too. Cool. So so <laughs> Bane and Bird are are spying on this fundraiser. I forget why, some reason, and they see Bruce at the fundraiser, and immediately Bane knows it's him. That's just how smart he is. He just know he goes, yeah, that's Batman. Oh yeah, that's him. Like he he just knows. I I don't know if it's just like his facial structure and his jaw structure, and maybe seeing how run down he is, and maybe some things he had already put together in his mind. Maybe he's because he, he's so they do play out how intelligent Bane is. Uh, but for whatever reason, whatever he had already been thinking, and when he sees Batman at this thing, he just knows immediately that's him. Uh, maybe he had already suspected it because you know he knew Batman to have a lot of money, a lot of resources. Uh, maybe he had already kind of put it together, and perhaps just seeing Bruce there and seeing how run down he could tell he was he instantly knew uh, he was Batman what did you think of just being casually just being like oh yeah that's Batman I feel like when I read it it kind of bugs me because I felt like they were kind of jumping the gun but when I look back at it yeah, yeah no I, real build up to it he just said it well I almost feel like you know you're 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 cutting out some of the bullshit that we usually have to deal with when it comes to these uh, you know uh, secret identity reveals I mean really th- it's like with Superman it's like people are you telling me that you can't tell that that's Superman of glasses on it's like Gotham are you telling me that the, the rich guy who comes back and is rarely seen as public isn't also the dude beating people up with all the awesome technology and kung fu fighting skills like let's just let's just cut to the chase yep so now at this fundraiser uh, poison Ivy appears and she uh, she basically uh, like poisons Bruce and gets everyone. A lot of Batman villains put people under hypnosis in some way, shape or form, just using different methods uh, like, you know, Ivy uses the poison from her plants and basically hypnotizes everybody. Uh, it's a reoccurring theme that you often see in Batman villains. I don't know why that is. Uh, but basically we have a, um, a, a classic uh, battle here. Batman is faking. We find out that Batman is faking being affected by Ivy's poison, which Bane knows because he's kind of just watching this whole thing from afar. Uh, he ends up taking her out. Uh, meanwhile, the, the commissioner and the and, uh, Bullock and, and et cetera, the GCPD are trying to save Mayor Kroll. Uh, uh, yeah, and then at the end of this issue here, they do encounter the Joker, and uh, Bane is just watching along, and then they're saying, you know, the Joker, his is like, oh, the Joker, the Joker's a big-time villain, you know, he might, he might finish Batman off, and, but, but Bane's like, no, 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 I don't want, I don't want the Joker to finish Batman off, I want to do this myself, which is kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of, like, Bane is kind of has all this pride about wanting to defeat Batman himself, but he has no problem, like, having, like, 15 different villains like wear him down first along the way so it's like he wants he wants to put on the finishing blow but he's totally cool with everyone else you know basically setting him up for it uh you know by through all these all these various battles and such so I don't know. I don't know how I feel. It's been a little consistent and inconsistent there. I think actually no, I, I think it's perfectly consistent with the character, and here's why. Everyone has a distinct weakness uh, for for the for for Mister Freeze, who does not appear in Nightfall. I think I don't think he appears in any of the, anything. Yeah, he's on. Is he on the screen when they show all the villains? I'm not sure, but he's not in Nightfall. I don't think. Yeah. So I I, I use him. I think he's probably 
honestly my favorite Batman villain. I I'll, I'll, I might say that even more so than the Joker sometimes. But his biggest weakness is is uh you know his his humanity. He his his attachment to his wife. Uh, with Two Face, it's you know being reminded that he's a disfigured freak who was once a, a hero to people. With Bane, his weakness is his pride, and I think this is probably the first time in the story thus far that now we're getting to see that. It's like we think he's just invincible and he's just too strong and too smart now we've identified his weakness his weakness is his pride and i think that's important for anybody everyone has a tell and i think this is the moment where the reader is looking at it, they're like oh well, there, there it is we finally found it uh, we then move on to detective comics number 662 uh this starts with the riddler being basically held up by these other gangsters and uh he gets away he's also showing an injury because this i guess from when he was attacked by bane he's got an arm injury uh he runs away and he sees on the street this show uh, he sees this guy, this uh, Sim- Dr. Simpson Flanders on TV, you know, talking about how these criminals aren't really insane and blah, 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 blah. So uh, Riddler says, oh, I got to go check this thing out. Uh, so uh, we'll just remember that for later. Um, then Alfred confronts uh, Robin, who's like training in the basement. And he's just pissed that he couldn't go after Firefly with Batman. Uh, then we get more from this. Uh, the I'm so I'm saying so are you author. And then uh, Riddler somehow got into the crowd here uh, at this whatever show this guy is on. Uh, so he you know starts participating in the show. Uh, basically, he, Riddler basically gets on TV during, during this thing, during the segment with uh, Dr. Simpson Flanders. Meanwhile, uh, Batman is battling the Firefly at the zoo. So this is like a whole huge battle at the zoo where they're, they're battling each other. Fireflies lighting stuff on fire. They end up, um, they end up basically like uh, battling each other and like a panther gets involved. So like Batman is battling a panther at one point and like half getting like tore his suit getting like half torn up by this panther. Um, finally, Batman does defeat, defeat Flyerfly. Um, meanwhile, Riddler is back at this uh, back on this TV show and it turns out he has a bomb there with him or it appears he does. And uh, Batman sh- uh, Robin shows up here and defeats the Riddler by he sprays this like epoxy on his hands and that stops him. And uh, But um, I guess let's see. Yeah, but in reality, Riddler was just using this as, as a distraction uh, so his thugs could just commit an entirely separate ro- robbery. Um, so I guess, you know, Robin kind of like played into that distraction there uh, by going after uh, by going after Riddler who, appearing on the TV show um, and not after his thugs. So his thugs get away with this crime, but they are stopped uh, by the Huntress, who is, I think, is the only time we see her in this entire series. Uh, so I'm not sure where that's supposed to go. Maybe she gets her own series, too. Uh, meanwhile, Batman is exhausted again. <laughs> He's completely bummed out. And uh, yeah, He's just he's just like is so done here. He's been like his suit has been lit on fire. Uh, his suit is like ripped to shreds now from battling a panther. Uh, Batman is just done right now. So um, he, he's just getting and they really do a good job, even though they show him like being tired from the beginning. They really do a good job of showing Batman just more and more worn down every single every single issue here. Yeah, I, I, I think that's perfect because this is really showing Batman's weakness in a way that I think it's good that we sh- we saw Bane's weakness at the same time. Batman's weakness, it might not be his pride, but it's his willingness to let some things go. If he had just taken a break, if he had just brought Azrael or even Robin, who's probably more than capable of taking down the Riddler for for I mean, for for crying out loud. It, it's this it's this constant lone wolf mentality that uh, I, I think Batman, you know, his, his big stereotype is I work alone. But I mean, you look at really the Bat family as, as fans have come to call them. Batman is better when he has support. And I think the, the biggest premise of Nightfall is that one man can't do everything. 
Exactly. And that that's why you get like four different series coming out of this. You get like a Robin series, you get Azrael's Batman, you get Catwoman. I think that was part of what they wanted to do was show that, you know, Batman was more not just this one person. It was like sort of an idea, an idea that could be carried out hypothetically by other people. Of course, uh, the way that plays out isn't isn't always great, especially when it comes to uh, how it played out with Azrael. But that's a whole nother story. We're not going to get all the way into that thing today. Uh, but moving on to Batman 496 again, they're just showing Batman is fucked. He's like wobbling away from this. Uh, the fire with in the fight with Firefly, his suit is torn to shreds. I mean, they just he just looks dead. He looks looks completely defeated. Like one of his uh one of the little bat ears is broken off. I mean, they just really do a good job artistically of showing how run down he continues to be. Uh, we then have a little, little argument. Joker and, and Scarecrow are sort of arguing. It's kind of a comedic argument over whether they should kill Batman. Joker's like, oh, I've never killed Batman before, so of course I want to kill Batman. And um and then Batman is is uh going to uh goes into this tunnel. He's gonna go rescue Mayor Kroll. Uh, he gets gassed in the tunnel by Scarecrow, and as he gets gassed, it, it makes Batman sort of upset over Jason Todd's death. That's what he sees because that's like a moment he fears is his Robin dying and that really happened that happened at the hands of the Joker. So as Batman is is kind of, um, you know, getting to this fear place of the gas, he's sort of like, he's but he's also like getting into this place of like anger and he's going after the Joker. So he's just going bonkers in the Joker and the Scarecrow here. Um, he's, he's really just pounding away on the Joker. I mean, just like completely losing his mind. Uh, and then uh, Scarecrow fires this like sort of missile thing at him, but he misses it and it looks like the tunnel's about to collapse. So again, Batman is faced with a dilemma much like he was faced with uh, with Jeremiah Arkham early in the story. He can either save Mayor Kroll or he can stop Joker and Scarecrow. So, of course, he helps the mayor escape as Jer- Joker and Scarecrow get away here. What do you think of these dilemmas that, that Batman's always put in where he's like, ah, I either got to let these villains go kill a bunch of people or save this one guy who's important? It's really showing that, you know, Bane didn't just come to this conclusion that he identified his boundaries and his, you know, his code of ethics, that this is, you know, ultimately either Batman's greatest virtue that keeps him separated from just being a, you know, a volatile vigilante to being somebody who is, you know, uh, somebody that's bound to some degree of, of morality. And this is this is why Bane's doing this. He knows that Batman's going to be able to defeat, you know, a whole slew of these people but it's this constant pushing him because it's not just it's not enough to beat batman physically it's not enough to you know explode a building or get somewhere first or get away with something and you know getting away from batman it's 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 making batman question whether or not he is enough to be effective enough to protect Gotham and keep these villains at bay. It's that, you know, it's that inner struggle that also is what's tearing apart of Bruce Wayne so much. Exactly. And it's, it's that inner struggle that I think is part of what wears him down. But outside of just the physical toll that this all that all this has taken, he's constantly faced with like these uh, mental dilemmas like, oh, my God, I, now I got to save this mayor or I got to let these guys go away. He's like, ah, oh, but I, I got to save the mayor. You know, I can't not save the mayor. I can't not save Jeremiah Arkham. I'm always there to protect the innocents, even if it, mean, if it means having to let villains go and do something worse in, in the short term, which I guess is something you saw throughout Maximum Carnage as well, but just not done in a very in a nearly as compelling way. It was not done in a. At all. Like, here's I'm glad that we did that episode and we have this so close to it because people can really see. Yeah, it's a great contrast of how to do a story like this. Yeah. And I think they were done like the same year, weren't they? Uh, 93. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually around the same time. Yeah. Right around the same time. So I, I can only imagine what it was like to see this as a. And I was reading both live, so I mean. Yeah, I, like no, I like I'm I'm curious. I can only imagine what it was like to to be a reader getting you know two big examples of how it should be done and how it shouldn't be done. 
I mean, I was 13, so I think I was probably just enjoying them all, you know, equally. Uh, but certainly looking back and reading them as an adult, there's a there's a very stark contrast between the two. Yeah. 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 Uh, But yeah, we're almost wrapping up here. We're on to the penultimate issue, at least of this part of Nightfall, uh, which is really this is what I call Nightfall. I think part of the rest of the story, they still call Nightfall. There's there's what there's Nightfall, Night Quest. And what's the what's the three? It's not night. Night's end. Yeah. Night's end. Yeah. Night's end is where Bruce finally comes back and blah, blah, blah. We'll do like a five minute recap of what happens uh, after nightfall in in a second. But uh, in this part, uh, Batman is swimming through these tunnels with Mayor Kroll. He uses this like little bat breathing device he has to find the way out, get the mayor safe. It's like it's like 10 pages of him going through the the sewers here, through the tunnels. Uh, We also get a little payoff to the ventriloquist story as he is at the police station and he does retrieve Scarface. Now, we don't see the ventriloquist face Batman as part of this rogues gallery and or two face. No, this part's even more screwed up. I think I think because they also needed to leave some villains for everyone else to deal with too afterwards. You know, once Batman had his back broken, they can't just have the whole rogues gallery exhausted. So I think that's what part of what uh, Ventriloquist is being kept around here for because they will use him later on uh, after Batman's back is broken. But uh, Batman is just chilling on a rooftop. He's just you know trying to recover from this whole thing when he is attacked by Trog earlier. Uh, I think it was the previous issue. Uh, Bane had said like, oh yeah, once he gets through this, he's got to run our gauntlet. So that so you now now that he's gone through all of his villains. Um, I guess he didn't really defeat Joker and Scarecrow. They just kind of got away. Uh, but he, he had to deal with them. Uh, now he has to go through Bane's uh, personal entourage, his troika of goons, his gauntlet, starting with Trog, who's just this like big beastie go- goon. This isn't too much of a fight. Batman uh, you know, gets beat up a little bit, but then he uses this CS gas that he has to take out Trog. So it's a bit of a tough fight, but you know, Batman, nothing Batman can't overcome. Uh, then next up, Batman has to fight Zombie. Uh, again, not too much of a, a fight from Zombie. That was actually a pretty short one. And then he finally fights Bird, uh, the Falconer. Uh, Bird actually, I think, puts up the best fight of the three by far. Uh, Bird gets a few licks in, but of course is defeated by Batman as well, because let's let's face it, these guys are are goons. They're cronies. They're not going to get much in. Uh, Finally, Batman drags himself back to Wayne Manor. He's had a rough day, to say the least. Uh, I think this is all in the storyline, all the same day as like him coming after that battle with Firefly and the Panther. And then he goes and, and battles a Joker and Scarecrow. And then he saves the mayor. It's like an episode of the 24. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, it's brutal. I mean, this, this just part of the story is just so brutal. What Batman's been through here. Uh, he finally be- drags himself back to Wayne Manor where he finds Alfred knocked out in the mansion where Bane is waiting there for him. You see that the, uh, it starts off screen where you just see Bane's voice. Uh, he's saying, I left him alive. It's not your underlings I want. And then we go to the big splash page at the end where we see Bane uh, just ready to go. And he says, it's you. And uh, that's how we end that issue of Detective. Before we head over to 497, you have something to say here? Yeah, that that last page is actually my favorite page of the entire arc. Even even more so than what we're about to show, which is known as the more you know memorable scene, the real iconic one. But that page itself, just the fear, like the the two clash of the titans, the un, the unstoppable object and the immovable object all coming face to face. That is what I love, and they they've done it so well. This is where this is why this is why I think comics are are such a such a unique and amazing medium because this 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 artwork itself paired with the story just makes that one page mean so much more to the reader 
Uh, so then we go to Batman 497. This is not technically the end of Nightfall, but it's what I call the end of Nightfall. It's what I call the end of this this broken Bat storyline uh, where he's running this gauntlet of, of Arkham and all the all of Bane's villains here that they release. But this is my favorite cover of this whole series. I, I will never forget buying this at the comic book store. And I own. All oh, of you actually have this one. I have all. Of, I own all of oh, these wow. original issues um, back in the in the old vault in, back in Connecticut. Uh, but yeah, this this one, I, I will never forget this cover. It's just Kane, uh, Bane, Kane. I'm not confusing it with uh, <laughs> my friend Glenn Jacobs who I've also interviewed uh, but yeah Bane is just looking so muscular and badass and it's just it's just him with Batman bent over his knee and it's just it's just such an awesome cover this is just this is an iconic cover of him breaking Batman's uh, back in the cave with the you know with the dinosaur and the big penny in the background it's just I, I love this cover it's one of my favorite covers of all time uh, but getting into the story here this is uh, what we'll call the end of the broken bat storyline I guess I, I would call it uh, but yeah. Bane is just in horror as he realizes like it Bane is pumping himself full of venom. He's like, oh yeah, you, you don't need your mask. He's like, because mine actually serves a purpose. And he shows that, like, the, the, he tells him that the venom is pumping into his brain right now. And Batman already knows about venom. Uh, but then, you know, Bane reveals this isn't just any venom. This is a super venom. So if you thought whatever you knew about venom was was scary before, no, 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 no. This is like way, way worse. Um, so they they talk a lot before they fight here. Actually, they talk for like four or five pages because like Batman really, he, Bane really wants Batman to know like who he is, what he's all about why he wants to take him out uh and it's just like it's almost a really calm conversation oddly calm you might say maybe because batman is just so defeated and he's just like you know what i gotta i gotta know what this guy's all about before i go fight him here but uh what do you think of their, their, their little pre-fight chat i i enjoyed this in in this form more so than when they tried to adapt it in the in the dark knight rises when they're when they're in the sewer on the on the like little bridge platform where a catwoman leads them they tried to do it there but at the end of the day even though people knew oh yeah it's these christopher nolan films these are more serious people just wanted to see the fight so i feel like with the film it felt a little bit more rushed but where this story succeeds is that everything feels like it's just elevating like it's that constant escalation of tension and fear and and you know worry that this is this is why this has succeeded and maximum carnage failed because everything delivers yeah and there's a build-up and a payoff to everything in this and i love the payoff here batman doesn't get a damn licking he can't he can't even handle bane right now i mean bane just kicks his ass he throws him all over the mansion he throws him down the stairs throws him into the bat cave uh you know, steps on his back, just not just, and he, and he also throughout this time as Batman's getting beat up, um, he, he keeps flashing back to sort of other moments, uh, throughout all the villains he's been fighting. So it's like, not only is he, is he being beat up by Bane, he's just reliving these last, however many weeks it's supposed to have taken place, uh, in the comics. I mean, he's just, they're, they're, they're displaying both his physical exhaustion and his mental exhaustion. Uh, eventually Bane just throws him down all the way down to the back cave, just, just beating the crap out of him. Batman literally does not get one punch in. And I, I love this fight so much because even going into this, even knowing Batman's going to lose, like, you know, that in the storyline wise, they built it up. that Batman's not going to be Batman for some amount of time. You know, something bad's going to happen to him. They have it on the cover that Bane's breaking his back. They're really not hiding how this is going to play out. You still think, OK, but I'm going to see a, a back and forth fight here. It's Batman. He's going to put up a fight. No, he doesn't put up a fight. I mean, that that's what's so great about this. It's it's so classic. It reminds me. Um, OK, I'm going to do a little another professional ref- wrestling reference here. Bring it. 2014 SummerSlam. You got Brock Lesnar, who is only a couple years out of being dominant in real life in the UFC, going uh, 
for the WWE Championship against John Cena. Everyone's expecting a back and forth match because uh, they've, they've had a few matches before. It's always been like a re, you know really back and forth match. They're, t- they're both seen as like two premier wrestlers. Brock Lesnar takes him immediately, delivers an F5, which is his finishing move. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't beat Cena with that right away, uh, but he ends up suplexing him like 14 times and then another F5 and just beats him. And the whole match, the crowd is waiting for John Cena to come back. You think he's going to start coming back because it's John Cena. Just like here, it's Batman. Of course he's going to come back. Of course he's going to get some licks in. No, he never does. Every little bit of hope, even when you think he's going to get a shot in, he doesn't. Brock Lesnar just knocks him down every time, laughs in his face, grabs him by the face, slaps him in the face. Uh, it's just, it's a beautiful piece of artwork. Uh, I, I, not just this story, but like uh, comparing it to that Brock Lesnar match. It, and the reason is uh, you like you have certain expectations of heroes, whether it's heroes in professional wrestling, heroes in comic books, and it's very rare that those expectations get completely blown away. Uh, you always expect Batman to put up a great fight, even if he loses a short-term battle. He can't do anything here. He is absolutely defenseless, absolutely useless. He is John Cena at SummerSlam 2014 getting mauled by Brock Lesnar. And I mean, John Cena never got a comeback in that match. He just got destroyed for like 14 minutes and then defeated, and that was it. And the, and the crowd is just shocked. You, 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 could, you could believe that he lost, but you couldn't believe that he lost like that. And that's how I felt about watching uh, Bane take, take on Batman here. You, you know Batman's going to lose. It's on the cover. But it's still shocking to see how badly Batman just gets the crap beat out of him. Doesn't even get a single shot in on Bane. And finally, Bane just lifts him up and does that iconic breaking of Batman's back and just leaves him there. Uh, or at least you think he leaves him there. I guess I will mention... Uh, going into the next issue, because uh, this does con- Nightfall itself does continue uh, into some other stuff with with Azrael and everything. Uh, but at the beginning of the next issue, I'll just touch on it because um, I, I do consider this pretty much the end of this this part of the storyline. Though um, Bane lifts up Batman, says like, "I am Bane. The city is mine. Here's your Batman," and he throws Batman into the street, like off this building. And lucky he lands on one of those those things that you always see people land on in movies when they fall off roofs. Those little oh, like, like the canopies. Yeah, he falls like he like bounces off like two canopies, then hits the street. So I guess that's how he didn't. Actually actually die there um and and they and um they, he goes into an ambulance and the ambulance has robin and um alfred in there and 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 and, and robin's like we got to get into a real hospital like alfred like he's like really fucked up and alfred's like if you, if you take him to a real hospital <laughs> and alfred's like, no, if you if you take him to a hospital like they're gonna realize he's bruce wayne and yeah you might save the the body but you're gonna kill the man because he if because you're gonna kill who you're gonna kill batman that way and robin's like oh, all right whatever so then they so then they just they just take him back uh, and uh, Alfred's going to heal up heal up Batman himself that, that's some pure Michael Caineism right there you could save the body yeah. but you will kill but the you, man but you'll kill the man <laughs> so that was a great scene just to, just to dive into that a little bit but uh that's pretty much the end of this portion of nightfall uh the rest of nightfall is where uh bruce wayne is just basically um has has in the ha- he's he's being helped by dr chandra kinsolving uh to to kind of rehabilitate while he does ask asriel uh to take his place and that, that's kind of like the rest of nightfall uh let's see i'm kind of trying to remember how to, how they differentiate nightfall and nights okay i think night's quest is when uh asriel actually Azrael actually ends up being the one to defeat Bane. Yeah, so that was like uh, night. It, that was the last chapter of Nightfall, but that was the first chapter of Night's Quest because I have that issue and it's kind of confusing. It's the trifold where you see Azrael's new bat armor and you open the page and then you know it, you see the regular Batman costume. So it was a little bit confusing on that, but yeah, it's uh, it's this grand saga. It's like you know. 
the Iliad and the Odyssey. Yeah. They're all big, you know, big conjoining stories, but they're all separate at the same time. Yeah, like night, night, there's like two things with Night Quest. Night Quest is the crusade and the search. And the, the crusade follows John Powell Valley as Batman, just being this kind of like ferocious, vicious Batman. And like a lot of the villains realize that he's not the same Batman. Even though they don't know who Batman is, they realize this guy's different because he's like so much more violent and brutal. And he's, he's murdering us. He's, mur- he's murdering people. And, uh, <laughs> and then on the, in the Night Quest, the search, it's just this weird kind of boring story where Batman's off. Uh, Batman and Alfred are like on this mystery searching for Tim Drake's dad and Chandra Kinsolving. And I don't even want to get into why because it doesn't i don't remember i I did read all this stuff too at the time but i don't remember any of this being you know remotely interesting but it's basically just it's basically just bruce healing because he's not he's like able to walk but he's not batman he can't like be batman yet so his spine is just like gradually healing over this time while while john paul valley is going nuts um in gotham and uh yeah then then night's end is when bruce finally comes back and and takes takes back the reins as batman and removes uh physically removes Ezreal from that that role you might say but that's that's all a long drawn out this is like over the next like i think like year year and a half so they they drag all of this out a lot um i don't know i might have mixed reviews on how it all played out but in terms of this part the the nightfall broken bat storyline i mean i love this completely this is one of my favorite stories yeah the, the only thing i remember from like you know night's end was when uh you really know that Azrael's batman is not going to be batman anymore we've got to get bruce wayne back and that moment is when uh um Azrael looks at tim drake who's just been like dude you gotta stop like maiming and killing people and stuff that's not how batman goes and he's like can you Stop telling me that I'm Batman and you know what? I'm sick of you. I'm going to kill you. So he's, he's trying to literally murder Robin. And then around that point is when Nightwing and, and Batman come in to stop Azrael for good. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, th- this specific volume of issues alone is really, it, th- this is all you really need to know to see where Batman has come since then. I mean, this is really like the, if I if I were to tell anyone where where Batman canon really feels like it's beginning for the first time again, it's this story. Yeah, there's and I really like that this story does have long term implications for the Batman character. You know, for for years and years afterwards, even into this day. Um, and like it, it really plays into the idea of, you know, Batman needing replacements. There's been many times where he's needed replacements, but, you know, his mistake with making Sean Powell Valley, his placement is, is always comes back to haunt him. Uh, so he's a lot <laughs> more careful in who, you know, he really can only trust certain people to take on this role. Basically just, uh, just Dick Grayson as Nightwing. And, you know, that, and I guess I think I'd really basically, Jay, I think, I think he's the only one that's really fully taken over. I guess, well, there was that time where commissioner Gordon took over as Mecca Batman. In, uh, in yeah. Batman. We don't talk about that. We don't talk about mechanized. We don't talk about that. Uh, But yeah, this is really played out. And I really like that in this entire story, you still leave open the Batman Bane story that that rematch is kind of still out there just like in wrestling when they don't resolve something you still have the rematch waiting down the road. Uh, I'm going to make a lot I'm making a lot of wrestling analogies here, but um yeah, I really like that that Batman never got to resolve with Bane in the storyline because Asriel is the one that took out Bane, and then Bruce comes back and takes out Asriel. But Bruce never gets at Bane, at least during this storyline. There are later storylines, uh, you know, down the road where he he does uh, get to Bane eventually, uh, and of course he he actually breaks his back in Tom King's Batman because you got to go full circle. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. but uh, I guess we can uh, try to rate. I guess we'll just call it the Broken Bat story because it's not all of Nightfall. Uh, Nightfall itself is much longer and goes into a yeah. bunch of different stuff. But in terms of this, especially when comparing it to things like Maximum Carnage, I mean, like it's not like I don't know. It's not like there's no issue that I'm like that I ever think like, wow, this is like the best written comic book I've ever read. Or but when you take this whole thing as a bunch of little good stories that have a greater all encompassing story that really just works all together, uh, I'm gonna give the writing like I'm gonna give the writing. 
I'm going to give the writing a four. I think that's fair. I'm going to give the writing a four out of five. And the art is good. Mm, sometimes great. Generally good. I'm going to give the art a 3.5. Overall, 7.5. Is that high enough? See, this is why I like doing this live. Because sometimes I don't think it's high enough. But I I, I do. I, I think 7.5 is pretty fair because in many ways it's great because it's a, you know it's an all-encompassing huge story. Um, it brings back a lot of memories for me. But is it like one of the greatest comic book stories of all time that needs to be above an 8 or a 9? I, I don't necessarily know I can say that. I, I just can say it's one of my favorite stories and I think it is, is very well done. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I think I'm comfortable with 7.5. Yeah, I'm going to differ a little bit. Um, I, I'm going to give the story a four and the artwork a four. So I'm going to give the whole, the whole this whole story uh, an eight out of ten. And, and my reason for the story is... Why am I being so hard on it? Why did I, why did I feel like I had to give a 3.5? I don't know. I'm trying to set some standards. Yeah, I'm going to set This is going to bother you for a while, isn't it? it is. Well, my, my thing is, um, while I do, I, I appreciate the whole vision of this saga, Um What's always bugged me about Nightfall a little bit is that it leaned very much on taking the elements of Frank Miller's The Dark Knight and putting them into main DC canon post-crisis. Uh, that That's when they were having to really you know revitalize a lot of these characters. And my thing is, uh, I, I, I've always been in the camp of less is more. And we see basically the same Gauntlet-style approach in the, in the Dark Knight uh, story with, uh, you know, many of the same characters, Two-Face... Uh, um, yeah, the, the mutant leader, uh, the ventriloquist joker, uh, and then eventually, you know, you've got the different gangs and Superman at the end. So, I mean, you've got basically the same premise, but you've got way less people. While I liked, you know, the, the gauntlet up, up style approach of this, there were just too many. And my thing is you could have taken out like three of the mind control villains of maybe like one villain. Uh, so that, that's my thing. It took too much of that. And, you know, having, because of that compared it's always going to make me think of, well, which did I like better? And, you know, because of that comparison, I I think that with the gauntlet, it was a bit too excessive. Now, they all serve points. It's not like all the people we saw join the Carnage family and Maximum Carnage who were all useless. I didn't feel like anyone was was used uh, inappropriately or, you know, for, for without reason. But, you know, because it's going to draw those comparisons, that's what makes me rate the story a little bit lower. It's like sometimes it's like, okay, it's it's cool, but it's a little bit too much, and sometimes less is more. Uh, and for the artwork, I I don't dislike the artwork at all. I, the only reason why I gave it a four out of five instead of a five out of five is I don't like the renderings of certain characters. While each artist has their own flair to them, uh, I mean, both artists from Detective and Batman who were doing this storyline, well, they kept them consistent. I don't like the versions of these characters. I like um, you know I like Ventura being a little midget guy instead of being a fat guy. I like, uh, you know, Scarecrow looking a little bit more human and not look like a living Scarecrow. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't even really like this this look of the Joker. I feel like he looked a bit too cartoony uh, compared to some some current versions. But that that's a personal preference. I don't think there's a problem with the art style. I think the art style is fine. I just don't like the look of some of the characters. So that's why I brought it down one. Okay, fair enough. I have no real explanation for my score other than I just think of like, I think of this as, as a, a story that I really like and is very good. Um, but like, 
I don't know. Like it's a, it is very rereadable. I will say I did I did really enjoy it upon reread. Probably more so than it's objectively I, good. Like I, I will say it, it came out in nine in ninety three, so it's been twenty seven years. It's still good. This will be good. God damn it, Renzo. I'm going four and four. I'm giving it eight. You're right. I can't. <laughs> I can't justify it. I enjoyed it. What's wrong with me? There, there you go. I mean, it's there not like an all time classic, amazing story. Like at the level of what I might call like the true classics, like a Watchmen or a Dark Knight Returns or something like that. Which that's what I think the the like above eight should be reserved for in my mind, like 8.59 type stuff. And I, I can't really put it there. Um, but you know what? Yeah, I, I can't say that. And I think I'll find some more flaws with, uh, like I said, when we go to death of Superman, I don't know if I'll have quite as glowy a review, uh, but we'll see. I, it's been a long time since I've read that. So we shall see. Uh, but yeah, screw it. You talked me out of it, even though you weren't trying to, I'm going with an eight. He gets a full eight from, from the second print. It, it happens here live folks. Be with us, live with us in the moment. <laughs> <laughs> All right, friends. But that was our look at Brat- Batman's Broken Bat. Batman's Broken Bat. Batman's Broken Back. Batman's Broken Back. Say that six times fast. Batman's there you Broken go. Back. Uh, just a great storyline that, uh, you know, it took years and years for all that stuff to play out afterwards. But I, I love when things in comics have like have actual consequences. And this is one story uh, that does have actual consequences up to and including today. And that's that's a pretty rare thing that you can say uh, about a lot of stories. I mean, you don't see many references to Maximum Carnage in today's comics. Actually, maybe you do. I don't know. Do you? I don't read I don't read a lot of modern stories. No. Okay. No. I didn't think so. <laughs> I didn't think so. For good reason. Uh, but yes, it's been it's been a blast, folks. Uh, of course, next week I'll be handing the reins, uh, the producing reins, back over to Remzo here. Uh, of course, do not forget, this is your last chance. Today really is your last chance, if you're listening right now, to head over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star rating, and a great review, and you'll get yourself a copy of X-Men number one. You can send us a screenshot of that review in so many ways. You can find us at Second Print Pod on Instagram, on uh, Twitter. You can send us an email at secondprintpod at gmail.com. Uh, you can also message our Facebook page. You can find us, folks. We're out there. We're not hard to find. You can even find me on Twitter at Mark Declare. That's Mark with a C, at Mark D-C-L-A-I-R, at Mark Declare. And uh, Remzo, you're on Twitter. Hey, Remzo. Hey, Remzo. It's that easy. H-E-Y-R-E-M-S-O. All right. And uh, any, any last words for our faithful listeners this week? Nothing much. You've got, I mean, the, the countdown is here after this. You know, if we have any left over, which I think we might have one or two left over of those X-Men issue ones, you're going to have to join Patreon to get it. But you get so much out of it. So why wait? If you want to leave us a review, we still benefit from that. You get a comic. It's a win-win. But uh, that's about it, Mark. I'm going to toss a little teaser out there for I, I like signing you up for things you haven't agreed to. But since, since I know you're reading it and we talked about it in this issue, and I assume you're going to read the rest of this thing at this point, uh, maybe when the series is all complete, we'll do a little bonus review of Batman Three Jokers. What do you think, front patrons? Oh, what we have to. I think we have to. I'm going to be talking about it anyway, so we may as well record it. You know, may as well hit that record button. So uh, we try to give you guys as much bonus bonus content as possible over on our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/SecondPrintPod. Every dollar you gives us helps us helps us grow the show and make it bigger and better and amazing more, amazinger, more amazing. You know, amazinger. Folks, it's been a blast. Until next time, Ramzo. What do they got to do? Read comics! Change the world! Later.